back in action with episode 5. This is episode 5 of the Crystal Talks Games podcast. I am joined by uh, my good friend Earl today. Earl, how you doing, man? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. I've been wanting to been wanting to do a podcast like this with you for a while. Um, it's kind of, I mean, we know each other through through Twitter and forums and stuff like that, but you're somebody who I, I find has like a, has a good, uh, has his finger on the pulse, I'll say. I feel like yeah, you, got a good, you got a good head about you. <laughs> you got a good head about you with this stuff. So um, this is uh, part two of our E3, um, I guess, run of shows. E3 season is here. But before we get there, because there's a lot to talk about regarding E3, I want to just take it slow. We're going to start with just what we've been playing. So, uh, Earl, tell me about what you've been playing. Well, I uh, tried out the new free-to-play title, Dauntless, uh, on the PlayStation 4. It's also on Xbox, PC, and I believe it's coming to Switch later this year. I believe it is too, yeah. And just kind of as a brief, really quick synopsis, it's a free-to-play Monster Hunter game. So it's a four-person action RPG where you hunt giant monsters, or in this case, I forget, behemoths. That's mm-hmm. what they're called in this game. And yeah, so you if you, you hunt them. And depending on the type of damage you do, you can you can hurt their head, you can hurt their sides, you can hurt their backsides, their tails. They drop different pieces, they drop different elements, they drop different types of orbs. You then use that to craft new weapons, new gears. You use that to hunt higher and higher level monsters, rinse and repeat. So like I said, if you played Monster Hunter, this is a very similar concept. Where so it differs... This- Oh, go on. Oh, oh, sure. Sorry. Uh, with this being a free-to-play game, how is the monetization? Because I imagine with this Monster Hunter format, the monetization could be uh, could be a bitch in places. I mean, so far, I will honestly say it's it's not really intrusive. Like, there's nothing that's really halted behind the monetization. Like, uh, you can just kind of go and you can complete the game and stuff like that. Like, from what I can tell, the two big things is, that, hey, you know, there's cosmetic stuff. You can buy different types of costumes and paint jobs and stuff like that. And then there's an orb system. Um, so, like, you know, a lot of games nowadays, you can craft gear, and then your gear has stuff for you to put in orbs. And you can you unlock them naturally throughout the course of the game and doing certain missions. But in order to, like, combine them, like, say you have two level two orbs and you want to make a level four, level five orb, you have to combine them in a shop. And that one, it's not it's not tied behind money, but it's, time behind, it's tied behind time. So, like, it might take you two real-world days to finish crafting that, and then you can spend money to speed up the process. Mm-hmm. So if you've played it, it's not too dissimilar from something like Warframe, where like the free-to-play elements don't get in the way. It's just like, we'll give you this thing that's going to help you, but it doesn't hurt you if you don't necessarily have it. Right. And it's going to take forever to do this. You give us money. Uh, I've, I've learned that with monetization, um, I mean – We've kind of resigned to just talking about how much we don't like monetization in like big games, except when they're free to play. I feel like that's just kind of something we've accepted to be the standard nowadays. But intrusiveness is really the key, the key factor to monetization. Uh, I would say the negative aspect of that. I don't know if you played uh, Mortal Kombat 11, but I, I just feel like that the the timing of the um, of just the the unlocks and the things you need for the crypt and the amount of just time you have to spend in there before you can actually go and buy things with money it is it becomes intrusive when 
the barrier to entry is so high that technically it's possible. You just have to spend three times as much as you normally would in a game not designed with this in mind. Does Dauntless kind of fit in that in that cycle? Does the time spent um, feel like a waste after a while? I mean, so if I, I, I will be honest, I, I am still probably within the first 10 or 12 hours of the game. So it might be one of those things where later on it becomes more of a chore, especially with kind of the grind of like doing the same monsters over and over again to farm um, drops so that you can get better and better equipment. But so far, like nothing seems to really impede the progress as far as at least being tied behind money. Uh, like I said, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, repeating the same bosses over and over again. And if you play Monsanto or any of those kind of boss rush games, you kind of get the idea because not only does it give you better drops, it also sh- should help you get better at the game and running strategies and stuff like that. So, so far, I've not found anything offensive or, you know, kind of halting my progress with the elements. How much of a campaign is there in Dauntless? Um, there is a story, I guess. Uh, but um, I think this is kind of where the free to play element comes in, especially being that it's a smaller team. Is um, you know, there's not, you know, it's not a ton of voice acting. Um, a lot of the story is just kind of given to you, and like, oh, you know, do this and try out this weapon, or you know, like these monsters are whatever. Um, and even the environments are kind of really recycled. It's like the same environment. Maybe you start off from a different angle, but also recolored. So like they'll have like a red one for fire. They'll have like one covered in ice for, 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 for frost monsters. And it's pretty much the same environment. Just it's red or blue or green. And it's slightly different, you know, like, oh, fire might pop up randomly, but it's all kind of the same. So there are some shortcuts that they take. And again, it's a free-to-play game, so I don't necessarily fault them on that. Yeah, I don't either. It's, it's a... F- I remember seeing trailers of it. It looks like a pretty fascinating project, and I mean, I I, I assume that you and I are both uh, in the same camp of being Switch enthusiasts. So having that on Switch is pretty uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think uh, it's one of especially being that the game from the get go has cross play and cross save. So I think it's one of those games that will be benefited on having the Switch, being on the Switch, I should say, because you can then kind of like, you know it might might not be as easy, but then you can kind of do some of that grinding on the go and then once you're done you know come back and play with your friends with better gear and stuff like that right is it an always online type of deal as far as i mean i think you're connected always but i would imagine on this okay because you can play you can play offline with just yourself doing these quests oh you can i don't know if you can play offline but you can play by yourself oh that's Um, cool yeah that sounds like that sounds like some of that uh like some of that backdoor uh like you could play by yourself but there's like a there's like an underlying connection i feel like there are certain games that do that too with single player so i don't know i hope i hope that works out i'm i ask because of the portable nature of this thing let's say i'm on a flight i would love to play something like dauntless and just grind away in a in like a pokemon quest type of way i don't know if you played that uh that came out last year it was like that automatic um pokemon thing it was actually kind of charming it was very simple but i like the idea of just like kind of just be having a free-to-play thing that i can just waste time in i know i'm not necessarily gonna get the most out of it as i would a campaign but if no, like anything some, yeah. like sometimes it's just nice to kind because you because you can see the progress you're making even if it's simple progress because it's like oh i got in more of this stuff i need to craft this new weapon 
or I was able to take down two more of this monster, you know, something like that just to kind of build some momentum, which is not something you always get in big games because there's so much to it that sometimes you just feel like I'm not making a dent. Right. So that's that. Honestly, that sounds like Dauntless is right up my alley. So here's hoping that uh, when it comes to Switch, here's hoping that the port will be will be solid at the very least. Um, you know, well, that's always I, a toss I, up. I am kind of weary on that because even now the performance isn't spectacular always on the PlayStation 4 Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll get showdown or like freezing. Right. Um, and that's, again, on the PS4 Pro. So I'm yeah. really curious. I, I mean, I imagine with the Switch, what they do, what they do at most ports is they'll, you know, drop sit, drop down this uh, geometry and also kind of maybe half the frame rate, take 30. I don't know if it runs at 60. I've always been terrible at frame rates. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping if anybody can do it, I think Panic Button can probably have uh, probably get a good result. But, you know, hopefully the PS4 Pro issues are just an optimization issue and not just another example of like a PC game that's trying to do console and we're all just kind of fooling ourselves that it works. But obviously PC is would be the, pri- uh, the prime place to go. But you know what? Less geometry and half the frame rate if it's playable, you know. Yeah, and you know, again, sometimes if it's just to grind... Or appear on the go, like that's like, you know that's the benefit to some of these ports. It's like it's you know it's great to like I have the option. I have an Xbox One S. I have a, a PS4 Pro. I have a Switch. It's like if I wanted to, I can play on the high end system. But if I just wanted to, like let's say we're recording this podcast and I wanted to kill some time while we're recording, I can do that on my Switch without interrupting anything. Yeah, that's the Nintendo really made. It's. I saw a joke about this uh, like years ago, but Nintendo really made like the perfect system for podcasters and people who are recording podcasts, waiting for podcasts to render. It's like it's so convenient. I don't know. It's two years later, and I can't stop raving about it. Yeah, yeah. The only thing, and we'll get to this in a bit, is I do think they. Uh, I've not really had a problem with it, but I do notice perspective is switching. No pun intended. That they do need to work on their content. Um, push out yes and we will definitely get to that uh but thank you very much for that for that view on dauntless i'm excited for that uh what i've been playing i have been let's do i have one that's a new game and i have one that's a revisit i'm gonna do the revisit first because i i don't know exactly what happened with me in this game so the game i'm replaying um i just got it on switch it's resident evil 4 and i gotta say man maybe it's resident evil 2's controls and how a just the way that game was remade it kind of feels like it was made for the modern era resident evil 4 is such an interestingly structured game and i do love it for that it's difficult to actually play lately and i don't say that about a lot of games from back then people kind of say the same thing about the first kingdom hearts and they say that it's confusing and the button layouts and all that it's circle yes, jump it i feel like <laughs> i i listen i think people have kind of and especially in today's day and age of um, how game design is kind of homogenous, and maybe this is a testament to that, but I feel like we've kind of taken for granted the ability to learn new control schemes, but something about Resident Evil 4, to me, just feels wrong, you know? Like, I, it just feels like... Basically, it feels like I should I should be strafing and not have, like, the, the, the tank controls, which are essentially the same type of tank controls from, you know, the first Resident Evil, just in third person. Or an over-the-shoulder view, I should say, and I'm, I don't know. I'm having a difficult time. I'm having a difficult time regrasping that. 
Um, and, and I get that. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because it was such a radical departure from the t- controls at the time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons that 4 or 5 and 6 are probably the most successful games in the franchise. Yeah. But I kind of get what you mean. It's still kind of, like, you still don't move in an actual, like, 3D space. You still kind of move based on the direction of the camera. Yes. So, like, up isn't always up and down isn't always down. It's relative to which way you're facing. And what's so uh, funny about that is... They literally have a command for the right analog stick to move the camera, but it doesn't move the camera in the direction that you want to move. It literally just, you can run totally forward and just check to the right of you and check to the left of you as you're running. It's in a different, I want to almost say in like an alternate universe where the strafing controls never really took, I feel like linear games with that type of functionality might have, might have, uh, might have been useful, but I feel like we've just kind of, we've evolved past it already. No, and I think even back then we kind of it was it was one of those. It's a weird dichotomy. I mean, even looking at the uh, age of gaming at the time, because you have stuff like Resident Evil and Tomb Raider, and that used those type of controls, but you also had Mario sixty four at the same time, and that's kind of you know Mario sixty four and Ocarina of Time are kind of the standard for three D games, and that in that generation. Mm-hmm. Because they gave you that movement of a full 360 character, and Zelda found a way to actually make combat work in the 3D space where you didn't necessarily have to line up perfectly with what you were engaging in. Because that is ultimately the big issue with 3D space mm-hmm. is navigating the 3D space, but also navigating people moving in the 3D space yes. against you. And people still have, it kind of shocks me that people still have trouble designing that in general. And now we still are trying to find different um, uh, different solutions to it. I never personally played it, but I hear Astrobot has a really good um, has a really good take on that solution. And VR itself is actually a really useful tool to like understand your place in a three D space. Yeah, I mean, I remember almost two decades now. My bro- my older brother, when he got the Dreamcast, is like, you know, the industry was ready to make 3D games. Mm-hmm. They never really asked if people were ready to navigate 3D games. That's and so that's true. Still, and it's still kind of, yeah, it's still very true. Like, we've had, you know, Call of Duty, like even Call of Duty, it's not, you don't necessarily navigate a 3D space because it's first person, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of games are first person because you don't have to account for the character. You're right. just aiming in front of you or whichever direction. But you look at like, GTA and Red Dead Redemption, you know, people love Rockstar games, but their games did not work well in a 3D space, which is why they give you all these weird shortcuts or cheap, you know, cheap methods. Um, yeah. And, I remember and Grand again, Theft Auto 3 was so convoluted at the time that when people discovered that they could actually do cheats, they were like, holy shit, they, they, they would do it if only to, like, remove the boundaries that they tried to build. Yeah, and, and it's one of those it's one of those things because, like, we've been, I mean, 3D gaming has lasted as longer than 2D gaming, but uh, people, you, you, you are still at that point where... It is kind of a learning curve, and I know you're going to have people like, oh, 3D games easy for me. Yes, if you've grown up with 3D games like you and I, it's second nature. Like, give 3D games to somebody who's never played a game before, and give them one of these modern controllers. Like, again, I get why there's so many buttons on it, but it's so difficult yeah, <laughs> for people it, to grasp. You're not wrong, and it's like my older brother had the same thing where like games, he, he always says that games themselves are too confusing, and he'll hold a PS4 controller, which 
for all intents and purposes, the same thing as a PS2 controller. Maybe a couple of little bells and whistles every now and again, but he looks at the games running on them, and like, and he, he is overwhelmed by it. He's like, I feel like I don't have a grasp on this anymore, and they're too confusing. That, but So now he's kind of, not regressed necessarily, but he prefers whenever, he, like the few times that he does play games, he prefers 2D games. What you said, though, um, that we made 3D games the standard without asking the general audience if they were ready for it. That is an interesting way to put that. Do you feel the same thing is happening with VR? Because I feel like that is something that... Um, I, I didn't really know how I felt about VR until you just said that, and I think that's how I feel about it. Um, VR is an interesting beast. Um, I think because VR and 3D, not just in gaming, but also in um, other applications are, I think, technology that people want to embrace, but there's so many hurdles to it, not just from a standpoint of learning how to navigate that space, but the fact that it does come with a sense of motion sickness and disconnection from the rest of the world because you were in headphones, you had this shiny thing on your face. Um, and it's a very interior experience for a lot of people where you don't get that communal aspect. Like you brought up GTA 3. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, one of my memories of GTA, GTA, well, more like Vice City and stuff like that. It's putting on these cheat codes and having your friends take turns just seeing how much havoc they can raise before they get busted by the cops. And that's a communal experience, even though it's a single player game. Right. Where VR, you, I, yes, I get that sometimes VR outputs the TV, but you're seeing something completely different than the person wearing the goggles. It's almost an async. Uh the same type of mentality as asynchronous multiplayer, like the, the the Wii U gamepad did, or like um, like the Friday the Thirteenth game did, but in the concept of just the technology itself, and it, it, it I I feel like there's a disconnect there that we can't seem to solve. Yeah, and I don't know. Again, I think I get you know it's one of those things where I think I understand the the, the, the industry's movement to it. Um, just think that, and and we've seen it because. It's been what five or six years of prominent three of uh, VR headsets, and we still haven't really seen one break out. Like as much as as much of as Astrobot got, it still hasn't been that title that breaks out and yeah. has been embraced by the masses. And yes, there's a lot of things that go into that with them being, you know, like you needed a high end PC or you needed a PS4 and all this setup and stuff like that. But like, like if there was a thing that really, really, really made people gravitate towards it, we would have been there by now. And mm-hmm. not to say something won't happen in the next five or ten years, but it it, it, it it is one of those things that just feels like it's fruitless because it's something the industry wants more than something that consumers want. Right. Um, as, on the same note, as much as I appreciate it, and I get it, I think HDR is kind of something very similar. Uh, HDR, you, you said? Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, how many people actually own 4K TVs? But you mentioned something about your brother, and I think this is a point that we sometimes miss, is the prettier and prettier games get, the more there's just a bunch of stuff on the screen, mm-hmm. and it's harder and harder to realize, like, what am I really needing to focus on? What am I really needing to interact with here? Honest to God, that is the that is one of the biggest detractors for me, and this is going to this might sound silly at first, but I hope I can pull it back. But games with a more photorealistic style, things are so unidentifiable to me. There are no visual signifiers. And a game relies on visual and audio signifiers. Um, 
of just what is what is a threat and what is safe. That's that is the crux of game design, and I feel like the closer, the more analogous you get to reality, the more you have to stipulate on that in ways that kind of distance yourself from what you're trying to do in the first place. Like I think of God of War, and I I enjoy I enjoy God of War. I don't I I don't think it's the it's the magnum opus that everyone seems to believe it is. But what I feel when I when I play and watch that game, it's like. I feel distracted because in dark rooms with a bunch of enemies around that don't immediately identify themselves with something like go back to your Ocarina of Time example. When you are in the Shadow Temple and an enemy comes down that you're not sure is an enemy, Navi still will fly over it and the color will change signifying you because you're already familiar with it because you saw it in lit places that this thing is a threat. And it's like, okay, you can throw the curveball at me. I already understand. And I feel like God of War never really has that for the sake of carrying a realistic narrative. And I hope yeah. that – I feel like the thread gets lost in that way. Yeah, and uh, you know, another example, and I don't necessarily always want to beat up on Sony, but Uncharted. I love the Uncharted games. I think they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think they're very, I think two is fantastic. I think three and four are great or good, uh, but they also have similar problems. Especially being like so much of it is like oh, you know, like finding a place to navigate, and then when everything kind of looks the same, it's sometimes hard to differentiate between like what's just background and what can he actually jump on, what can right. he actually use to shimmy, and at times like it's like you said, it's not a visual indicator and it's a double edged sword because I get that if you have some visual indicator, like people always complain about like games and way maps and stuff like that. It's like, why are these random arrows popping up? It's like, because if not, it's just really hard to navigate otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that it does break the illusion to a degree, but I'm fine with breaking the illusion if it makes for a more expedient experience for me as the, as the player. Right. And I just going. That's a good. That's a very good point. Going back to the God of War example, th- I feel like Uncharted kind of set the precedent for a lot of games to copy that navigation style and just that we there is a set path that you have to climb along. And God of War has that too, where whatever is climbable is uh, is has these markings that kind of feel out of place almost. You know, like and I am doing this in a way. I was like, why couldn't I just like. Like, this is all set up in a game where Kratos, this this almighty god of war, can't jump. And I'm thinking, like, it, it, I don't know. It's It was a strange it was a strange design decision. And it really, the, the opposite, the total, total polar opposite can really happen. Because Breath of the Wild kind of did it. They said, okay, um, this is a huge world. We have to give these certain things a visual signifier. Because old Zelda games had the identifiable vines that... Okay, we like I see the vine that looks familiar. I know it can climb it. With Breath of the Wild, they just said, "Fuck it, you can climb literally anything so long as it's not raining." And then, except for the Sheikah like uh, tower and like certain of the like more rounded stucco material on the Sheikah towers or the uh, or the shrines, you can't. But it's pretty established that you can do whatever, and that helps the game. Even stuff like that, you know, like the Shika shrines are more circular, so it kind of makes sense that you don't necessarily. And you can climb in the rain; it's just more difficult. Yeah, of um, course. And yeah, it's stuff like that. And I understand that not every game is going to have that freedom, but yes, right. it it does bring me to one of the, my big deal breakers with a lot of open world, big massive games is when you come across something that your character can't jump over, or, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like an inch high pile of garbage or something like that, and it's like. So they can jump off buildings and stuff like that, but somehow you okay. have these 
these invisible barriers that you have to create. Right. And it's like, oh, they can't get around this trash heap for some reason. <laughs> like suspending your disbelief. You know this character can do this. You just didn't program the ability for this to be jumped over. And that's where that's where the 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 dis, what's the word? Disjointment, I guess, is the way you would you would use that word in that in that structure. But like that's where it starts. And yeah. it's 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 tough to recover from that. Yeah, and, and and again, you know, you and I think sometimes you need to give uh, gamers some credit that yes, yeah, so we understand that it's gonna be weird. It's gonna break the narrative structure a bit, but mm-hmm. like it's better than like it's. I think it's better if you are upfront with that instead of like, oh yeah, you you just can't go over this 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 trash heap for some odd reason. Right, and then just bringing say- it bringing it full circle back to Resident Evil Four. It's so interesting to play this game and realize just how much everything borrowed from it afterwards. Not just from um, the camera perspective, not just from the overall vibe and the tone of the game, but the um, the way you navigate a linear, a linear, a linearly progressing story, and just the control that people have over set pieces. I mean, we uh, really a lot of the Uncharted formula is based on that. And I think Resident Evil 4 kind of was the spearhead. Like, Resident Evil 4 walked so Uncharted could run, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and I and and it is the thing. I've never, because I faded back on when it came out on the GameCube, and I've not really revisited since then, but it is fascinating. And maybe that is something I would I want to do in the future. It's like, because you have these big, influential, ground-breaking games, and you can kind of see their influence reverberate throughout the industry for years and years to come. But I've never actually gone back to the original and been like, oh, I see this now in other games. Mm-hmm. Um and that would be an interesting thing because, yeah, like, you know, Resident Evil 4 is 15 years old this year. So there's a lot That's of history now of games Holy that crap. have. Time is going yeah. by so fast, man. I mean, it's all, it, it, it helps that it's out like every other system. So yeah. it's hard for it to kind of be the history, but it is 15 years old this year. That's insane, man. Absolutely insane. Well, I have every uh, I have every intention of pressing onward with Resident Evil Four. I I still am fascinated by it. I love Leon Kennedy as a protagonist. So here's hoping I get a I get the better hang of it. But you have okay. you have something else you want to talk about? Well, I was just gonna say before we wrap up Resident Evil Four. Maybe I missed sure. it, or maybe you mentioned that you are coming back to this. So do you remember why you stopped the first time? So I actually I I beat it the first time. I beat on okay. GameCube. I beat it a couple of times. I loved it. I remember loving it, loving it, loving it. It was one of my favorite games of all time for a while. And now coming back to this, I, I honestly, I feel like it's been it's been outclassed. People have done it better. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about being first is that like, your hope is that a lot of people, like I, the example I tend to use to people is that I think Super Mario is, Super Mario Brothers is a very groundbreaking and influential game. If I was yep. to recommend a Mario game, I'd recommend every other one after it. I totally 100% agree. <laughs> Super Mario because, Brothers yes. is 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 groundbreaking, but it is very cumbersome to play. Yeah, and every Absolutely. one of its sequels has bettered it in almost every fashion. How about um, how do you compare sixty four and Odyssey? I think I I think Odyssey's better, uh, just because it was finally able to do several things that I think sixty four couldn't do to the limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, just one being able to kind of just continuously go in that level. Without having to, like, oh, I got this star. I have to go out, come back in. 
but also just kind of creating these massive playgrounds that's ever expanding. Where Mario sixty four had these huge levels. Well, actually, in hindsight, those levels aren't that big. But for the most part, it wasn't like it. Like what you see is what you got. Like when you got to the top of like uh, the bottom battlefield. Um. Wait, did that cut off? <laughs> no, that no, you're good. I heard. Oh, you. I didn't know if you heard my phone again. Um, and the bomb battlefield, you get to the top of the thing with uh, you know, the bomb king, and that's pretty much as high as the level gets. Like it doesn't change any other time you go there. Where right. with Odyssey, there's a lot of times where like, you'll find hidden caves and caverns. You know, the level goes higher. You'll do something that triggers something else. There's hidden paths in the lava and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, and, and again, the, and the other thing that it does, and I think that is something that, honestly, it's kind of it. It, it took Mario sixty four, but I actually would also give credit to Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie, mm-hmm. where it was like we're gonna constantly reward you with something. Oh yeah. So you're always getting moons, or you're always getting. And we don't stop your uh, we don't stop your forward progress when yeah. you do, and that's something that. Literally, the one of the biggest reasons... I think Odyssey, Mario Odyssey, I think is my favorite game currently ever. I really do. I think it's because it's if the... Um, if Koizumi's team... Uh, Koizumi, I should say. Uh, if his team at EAD made a game that stole from Banjo-Kazooie. Because Banjo-Kazooie has, a, has the best pacing in a 3D platformer and hasn't really been topped for me since i think there have been better 3d platformers since but i feel like um i feel like odyssey kind of takes that and and really runs with it in a certain way and what you what you said about um technical limitations so i one thing we're going to talk about later is just uh in a in a different context is how um the pace of new consoles and how it kind of like how things arrive, how games arrive that we were waiting for for a certain time, and they start to hit the end of a generation, and you're kind of sitting there wondering like, why does the generation have to end already? Because I feel like we can still, there's still like room to grow and explore this technology and like make things. I almost find it unfair, like because I I totally agree with you. I think Odyssey is better than Super Mario 64. I think maybe Mario 64 is a more pure and original gameplay concept because it is but if the nintendo 64 had been around for let's say eight years instead of five there probably would have been another 3d mario game on there to fairly compare it to you know what i mean like and for example the wii got two mario galaxy games and the wii was around for a considerably long time but those two games when you put them together it's a more fair comparison and it's better to judge them within the context of the rest of their series because it's like we're okay we're exploring this technology for a while we're kind of remaining in this mindset we're not constantly moving on to the next thing and i i don't know i feel like we can we can benefit from having a little bit of time no and 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 and, and this is something that i've um i've commented on for years now and again it's not exclusive to video games as movies as tv shows is that we are a very um, hype-driven consumer base now. So the most interesting thing in the world is what's next yeah. and not like what's behind you. <laughs> so you guys, you mentioned Mortal Kombat 11. Mortal Kombat 11 is only like a month old. And that's already old news. Yeah. Even though people spent 
a year and a half looking forward to that game. Right. It came out. We played it. We moved on. What's next? Right. And it's a very bad cycle. I understand why it exists. And I understand why everybody gets dragged into it because you want to be part of the conversation. But, you know, using like, a, a more recent example of something super popular, and I know it had a divisive season eight, but look at Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was the thing for mm-hmm. almost a decade. It ended two weeks ago, and almost all no, conversation around it. Absolutely right. Nobody cares anymore. Or maybe yeah. that they, they may care, but it's it's done. It's just done. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to talk about about it, which is – I agree with you. It's so it's so scary how quickly we eat things up and spit them out. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things like you know like a few years ago I tr- I tried to be more cognitive with this because like if you were to talk about like what if, um if you if you ever catch yourself talking about media what people tend to do is talk about it in the past tense mm-hmm. like oh you know like Mortal Kombat Eleven was good Mortal Kombat Eleven is still around <laughs> it yeah. is still technically it is still good it's not once yeah. it's not dead it's not deceased it's not gone super mario right. galaxy is good <laughs> uh mm-hmm. resident evil 4 is good or in your case i guess was good because like you said it's stated now compared to some of its contemporaries but right. the fact i would is, still say it's good i just i i think that game would have benefited from an ability to strafe if you could actually if you had strafe controls in the current version of resident evil 4 or it would be it would be immaculate i really think that but i just think that 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 core the core gameplay just movement is 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 tough to wrap your head around. Yeah, but it, 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 but so much of us, so many of us, is stuff is was it's past tense or beyond it. Um, you look at Endgame, same thing. There's a conversation around Endgame still, but the conversation around Endgame isn't about the movie. It's how successful it ultimately ends up in the box office. Yeah, um, and it's all this stuff because we spend years and years and years getting hyped and getting excited for something yeah. and then we get it we consume it and we move on and we ask what's next yeah and then we and then we are sour when there's nothing waiting and that's the part we really got to work on yeah <laughs> so, so who knows so anyway you had another uh you had another game you wanted to talk about Yes, I'll keep this brief because we are supposed to talk about E3 at some point. Oh, yeah. uh, I, 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 I'm going on vacation this week, so I bought a bunch of... There's a Devolver Digital sale on the Switch right now, and I bought a few games, but the only one I've already gotten time to check out is a game called Downwell, which I think is currently $150. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fun, simple game. It is... I didn't know this was a thing, but a lot of games apparently do this style now. It's kind of a, it's like a Game Boy influenced game as far as like style goes. It's a very simple black and white game. Though you can get a different, a bunch of different um, skin colors, and it's still like it's monochromatic green, it's monochromatic blue. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Game Boy and a Game Boy color options. Right. Um, You're right. The monochromatic style is is pretty popular. There's that. There's that game Minute, and then there was another. Um, like a Metroidvania game that came out which recently, I, I think. Which I, which I also got, but I've not which played. Which you also got? Gato Roboto. Yes, that was it. Yes. That looks silly. <laughs> That's another Devolve Digital thing too, right? Yeah. Because wow. it's also, it was on sale for like 15%. I think it's like, it's like uh, 12 bucks right now. Um, I mean, out of this, I got for quote unquote free because I had some gold coins laying around. Oh, there you go. Um, but um, 
Yeah, it's a um, as it says, it, you're going down a well, so it's kind of like a free fall and vertical shooter, where you're coming from the top of the screen to the bottom instead of like you know you're, you're aiming up at the top of the screen, and you're falling down a well, and there's you know enemies that you have to navigate around. You can jump on their heads. Some of them are spikes, and you have to avoid them. But you can also shoot on your feet and stuff like that. And you know you you get combos, you get gems, you you have help you power up your character. Uh, you go through, you do this. There are boss encounters and stuff like that. Uh, for a buck fifty right now, it's really fun. It's really simple. It's a quick pick up and play game that you know. Like, even though I'm not that great at it yet, I'm having a ton of fun just playing for like you know twenty minutes at a time, making further progress, unlocking new stuff. Um, you know, seeing a new boss, and it's a roguelike, so each stage is randomly generated, so you don't know what you know. You don't know what enemies or they are, you're going to encounter when you start it, mm-hmm. which makes it still exciting to be like oh what am i gonna get this time right i feel like games games that simple really benefit from a rogue uh a rogue like auto like uh what's oh goodness i keep forgetting the name random like randomly generated level i feel like that benefits a game like Downwell because really Downwell is if it was a set structure for um like set levels and all that stuff i feel like it would get pretty repetitive pretty quickly and it would get easier over time so keeping on your toes for a style like that is good yeah, it, it's like um, oh, actually, I will say, I will save that. We will discuss it in next time. Yes, definitely. Um, well, my my second game as well is something that um, since you mentioned Devolver Digital, uh, there must be something in the water over there because they really they they find these these really unique games to publish. And I'm going to talk about Katana Zero for a second. And when I say talk about, I'm going to rave about it uh, because. I remember watching this thing in the Nindies presentation, and there was a concept of you played as this uh, samurai that the run that you did in the level wasn't actually your run, it was like a foretelling of the run. And I'm like, well, that's kind of silly, you could just see a replay of it, and I guess I didn't really understand the the concept behind it, but little did I know, and I'll, I'll keep it rather... Um, Spoiler-free, because the story in this game is actually, like, fairly complex, and it's a multi-note story. Um, Yes. It has a genuine... I was going to say, just a quick aside, this is my third game that I got during the sale, so I'm looking forward to playing that on my flight. (laughs) My dude, you are going to love this, because that all of that stuff happens for a story reason that will, over time, get revealed to you in a way that these big narrative games can only dream of nailing. I was absolutely floored by this. So the benefit of the benefit of of watching the replay too, just from a purely gameplay perspective, you can slow down when you're actually doing the run, you can slow down time and like deflect bullets back at people. You can uh, see bullets as they come and start to roll and then throw objects that you find. And then when you, look at the replay, which is what actually is going on from, like, an outsider's perspective, you can just see how quick your character is, how quick you're, how quickly you assassinate people, and it is just, like, insane. Like, when I'm noticing I'm trying to, like, I pull off some some really impressive kills in slow-mo, and then I watch that replay back, um, and it looks just unbelievable. And all of that is for a tremendous story reason. And the character's, like, unfold and are aware of the story reason so it's like everything is context sensitive in this and i 
I'm not gonna lie to you. It might. It's on my short list for for game of the year so far. Game of the year is kind of a silly thing, but I I I cannot praise this game enough. You're gonna absolutely adore it. I've heard really good things, and I am looking forward to playing it. Uh, like I said, so yes, I'm excited to hear. Yeah, man. Um, well, that would be uh, that would be the end of the segment of what we're playing. Um, we're gonna. We're going to take a two-minute break, and then we're going to go into some E3 stuff. Thank you very much for listening. Stick around. everybody thank you very much for listening to the Christo Talks Games podcast uh, I am your host Christo joined again by Earl what's going on buddy what's going on what uh what was supposed to be a very simple what are you playing segment turned into honestly what is like a pretty one of the most one of the more fascinating discussions of game design that I think I've ever had and I hope people enjoy listening to it so thank you for that uh, but listen man tis the season because I, I swear, the timing of posting episodes is 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 always a funny thing because you record whenever you're able to. And the last episode I posted, I started off the E3 discussion with, it's E3 time, but you wouldn't really know it because the energy isn't really here. A lot of the big players are gone. But this week and the day that I posted the last episode, that's when everybody decided to drop their big guns um, because we had, the day before we had... Uh, the Death Stranding reveal, and then we had a bunch of announcements of what will be at E3, so it's 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 definitely a more ominous vibe this year. It's not the same high energy, but there is um, there is something to be said about the week before, or I guess the week leading up to uh, E3, and there was a piece of news that I broke that any other week would have been uh, a piece of quick news, but this kind of ties into what I really want to get at. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 is the Ubisoft game that was revealed two years ago at E3, um, it was a much-awaited sequel to a kind of a niche cult hit that is Beyond Good and Evil, released on the GameCube and the PlayStation 2, um, revealed with this really stunning CG trailer that maybe the game didn't really deserve, because it's just, I, I don't know that many people that really cared about Beyond Good and Evil that would've, would've, um, I guess qualified this trailer for having as high a budget as it did, but now it exists and here it is. It's going to have a scheduled live stream, and it won't be at E3. This fascinates me, and I don't know if it does for you too, because this is one of Ubisoft's key pillars, which tells me that if this is happening like this, we are two years out from its initial reveal. I don't think Beyond Good and Evil 2 existed when it first uh, got announced. Much in the vein of, I don't think Death Stranding existed when it first got announced, the Avengers Project did not exist when it first got announced, uh, Shenmue 3, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, all these games that are starting to come to a head um, this year. Um, but now they're all they're all kind of getting these scheduled streams, and it fits the 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 theme of just this is an ominous E3. E3 feels less vital than ever. How are you? How are you feeling about E3?
Hello? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> That's what happens when you mute your mic and forget to unmute it. But um, <laughs> like, I, like I was saying is that uh, I've said I've been saying this for years, is that E3 has become SNS of a vital part of everybody's marketing strategy because, um, you know, it, it's, it's no longer needed. Um, we're not in a magazine. We're not in a magazine world anymore. So it's no longer needed that, okay, we're going to have to have big thing so that we have this seed time so people can start putting these games and stories in their summer issues so people know what games to get excited for over the summer, over the yeah. uh, Christmas season. Because of the, like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, but you guys have that Marvel Ultimate Alliance was not announced at E3, was not detailed at E3. I mean, it might still be at Nintendo's E3, but like we got the big kind of push last month with the Game Informer cover story, and then it's out next month. Yeah, uh, not really a huge, not a huge lead-up that you think a Marvel game, especially the third installment of the Ultimate <laughs> Alliance series, that it would it would receive. But it has gotten a big push. I mean, it was it was the first game revealed at the Game Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was featured in Nintendo Direct, and then we've had, uh, you know, a Game Informer did like a month of gameplay footage and interviews and stuff like that. Like, I, I mean, it's not everywhere. I still expect that we'll get one final trailer at E3. But like the fact that this game has like a following and it wasn't announced at E3, it's you know, a lot of, none of its marketing has been in E3. It's just kind of indicative of that. Um, look at something. Um, well, okay, Nintendo's a different beast, but mm-hmm. Nintendo was the ones who, in hindsight, were reading the room better than anybody else. Oh, because yeah, for sure. Why spend countless amount of money and manpower getting these, you know, these the, the size of life demos for this event, getting the stage show set up, getting these big reveals, you know, crowding hundreds of people into this small room? Uh, it's a, it just a good nightmare. Right. And, and when you pre-record they, your message, you nearly eliminate your margin of error, which yeah. these press conferences still carry to this day. And we'll get into that for sure. Yes. But what they did and what I think was smart, and I, I don't always think they get enough credit for this, is it wasn't that, like, oh, we're going to get rid of the live stage show and just do this pre-recording. It's that we're going to get rid of the stage show. We're going to do this pre-recording. But then we're going to spend the next three days showing you this gameplay so it's not like oh we have five minutes to give you this very forced demo it's like no we're gonna spend two hours with breath of the wild every day (laughs) we're going to have a mario maker tournament we're going to have a smash brothers tournament and that's when i mean honestly i like the nintendo rx but i think the nintendo treehouse stuff is the stuff that really sells you because it's people who actually know the games who get to play it, who get to go in depth with it, who really kind of go over the nooks and crannies that you wouldn't get in an E3 press conference because you're trying to cram 25 games into an hour. Right, and it's real. This is These are real people that maybe one of them has more experience with the game than the other, and they actually carry each other through a co-op mission or something like that. There's nothing pre-rendered. There's nothing pre-scripted. This is them pressing start and playing through the game, and I think there's something to be said about that too. Yes, and it's a very minor point, and it's a very minor pet peeve of mine, but it's also so natural sounding because I hate Ubisoft is really guilty of this as well. Most is when people have like this canned gameplay, and you have people talking, and I'm like, oh, I played yeah. online games, and nobody talks like that. 
ever. Yeah, like everyone's talking about like watching their six and they like they're calling yeah. each other Alpha and Bravo team. And it's like that's not their names. You don't you would never ever ever call them that in any point <laughs> in history. Yeah. But you I, you're actually right. And again, it's just there's something about it feels like a bunch of friends getting together in a living room to play games. It's kinda like that it's that strategy of Kind of like just I'm I don't know why this is the thing I think of right now and I'm so sorry about this but it's like the whole the appeal that people voted for people voted for Bush back in the day because he was the guy you could have a beer with it's like I'm watching these people and I'm enjoying my company because I could see myself on that couch like just shooting the shit and having fun and there's something about that that um there's something about being a genuine personality there and not just like this. Not just like this, like, EA was the, was also huge on this. They would always talk about, like, their, like, reasons for play. And, like, this is not just how we play, but why we play and what we play. It's like, stop. We don't talk like that. Yes. It's and like, just, I, yeah. I was going to mention that, like, you know, everybody gives Nintendo – people give credit Nintendo credit for the Treehouse Live. But, like, Sony has tried it. Microsoft has tried it. EA has tried it. And the reason that those aren't as successful, why those aren't talked about as, in the same regard, is because they don't know how to turn it off. Like Nintendo will sell you on a game, but it's not these people necessarily always speaking in marketing jargon. Right, right. The board, the, the boardroom never really goes away in those places. In that, in those, uh, those segments. I remember what year was it? I think it was 2017. That's when they had like the live commentated battlefront 2 matches it was like a half an hour of them and it was just awful yeah and it's it's because people don't know how to turn it off and they don't know how to make fun of themselves at times because mm-hmm. i remember tuning into i forget what sony called theirs, but they did it and it wasn't even like i've game it was just like pre-recorded footage and people talking over it and it's like an interview and it's like they'll have interviews at treehouse but again, it's interviews while they're playing the game and getting insight that you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. And again, I assume a lot of this is scripted or a lot of it is like questions they are they are told they can ask. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they do it in such a way that it feels organic and not necessarily like, oh, we're here with Reggie. Reggie, how is Mario Maker? Mario Maker 2 features a robust lineup of yada, yada, yada. That's yeah. not what it sounds like. <laughs> and you know what? It's... It's funny you mentioned this too because this is also where um, I think their um, like Nintendo's Nintendo Power podcast that they do that is an example of when it gets too corporate. Like you listen to that, and I think um, the gentleman's name is Kit, and he talks about, "Oh, I was playing uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D on my new Nintendo 3DS," and it's like, dude, you're not talking like like a person; you're talking like a figurehead. Yeah, and it's like it's certain examples like that where like every company is guilty of it for sure. Where it matters, I think Nintendo does does very well. Oh yeah, but- and, and 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 again, that's not like I said. That's not to say Nintendo. Like I mean, everybody always said you know he's retired now, but Reggie was a master of spin. Like you had interviews with him, and you wouldn't earn anything new or nothing that he didn't want to tell you. Nothing at all. It always sounded like not pre-rehearsed, but it sounded like okay, these are my talking points, and this is the only thing I'm going to tell you. And again, that's fine. There are yeah. ways to have talking points. And make it sound organic. <laughs> and, Absolutely, uh, I would listen again, to interviews with him and laugh because it's just like you really think you're gonna you're gonna get an answer out of this guy. People would like genuinely ask him like, so what's the state of what's the state of Metroid and what's the state of oh Mother Three is a thing. I was like, why are you wasting your time? 
Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody wants to, like you want to ask those questions because that's what your fans want to ask. But yeah, you know, he's going to be like, oh, <laughs> and then he's going to brush it aside and like give you some spit, like some type of pre can response. Right. I'm, I'm curious to see what Doug Bowser does. Uh, this will be that's his, right. I mean, he's been at E3 before, but this will be his first one as in the big boy seat. I think, do you think he shows up in the direct? I think so. I, 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 I would imagine he does. Though I also feel like they've gotten to the point where there's enough personalities outside of the VP. Like mm-hmm. I think Reggie became such a big figurehead that it was hard not to have him. But you know, you have uh, what? Um, you have the, the Odyssey dude. You have Treehouse. A lot of them are featured in it. Like Bill Trinton has become a staple. And oh yeah, definitely. Stuff. Um, what I'm curious about is what format they take. I don't think they've mentioned that yet. Have they? So this is what this is what I was talking about. Um last week as well so it, it it appears that they have certain labelings for um for their shows so if you remember the digital event that's when it was kind of like the um like the spectacle of presentation so that's when the robot chicken thing happened that's when the jim henson puppets happened then it became spotlights where it was just trailer after trailer after trailer after trailer and then a focus on something else that was 2017 and 2018 this time it's just a direct and it reminds me of the first time they did a direct, which was um, E3 2013, it was just the same type of format that Iwata used to do, where he would just be like, this title is Bayonetta 2, look at her short hair, thank you. Next, we have this game from Retro Studios, and then it was Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, and I I would imagine the directs, um, as they are now, would kind of be the format we'd have to assume would be the one for the E3 one. Um so I guess the headlines type of format, which is, which works which, well, but I think I, 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 you know, E three is not the, but I do think it should be a special one or something different. Right. And favorite, and I, sorry, you go, you go. Oh no, I was gonna say my favorite one, which they've never really replicated, was I think two thousand and fourteen or two thousand. It was like a more kind of casual thing where they'd have like the developer speak real quickly about the game. Yes. And then they, I love those. That was they did that for Yoshi's Woolly World. They did that for Yoshi's Woolly World twice, actually. And then they, they did, did it for Star Fox Zero. They did this is just a tune. They did it like that was the big breath of the wild reveal yeah. where Anuma was speaking and then he's his finger and like the background started moving. And that was a really cool one because you get that informative uh, you know, like, oh, this is what the game is about, but you also got the game. And again, they did it in such a way that each game was like maybe five minutes, so you got all you needed to do without, you know, hampering it or anything awkward. Right. Oh, yeah. I remember that Star Fox Zero one with Miyamoto is still one of my favorite ones ever. Because like you get an you get an insight into him as a person, strangely enough. And he's, I mean, Nintendo themselves are very good at this with their figureheads, but I, I feel like anytime Miyamoto does an interview, you learn a little extra something about him. And I guess that's just the nature of how he designs things. It's just so it's so intertwined with who he is as a person, but they're always so fascinating. And going back to the format of this one, I feel like the headline style, it's fine for a February, a Wednesday in February for E3. I feel like you need a little bit more spectacle. And I wonder just in the sense, like there have to be some type of announcements. There's have to be some type of reveals. How does that happen in a headline focused thing? Like where are your where are your big reveals? Where where do your your big trailers drop? They happen in the middle. There's a focus in the in. Uh, I'm sorry. They happen in the intro. There's a focus on something in the middle. There's maybe like another focus on something before you jump to, um, the closing announcements. And that's when it's like 
like the screen fades to black and then all of a sudden it's the Nintendo logo and then it's Astral Chain or then it's Link's Awakening. Um, we have yet to learn much about Animal Crossing. Um, we have yet to learn well, much about Luigi's Mansion. I just I wonder where these things are gonna where these things are yeah, all gonna fit the, in the format. There's like a this. there's a lot of games that they have outstanding. Uh, in the back half of the year, it's gonna be jam packed with titles because yeah. I mean even starting with Mario Maker, you have Mario Maker, you have Marvel Ultimate Alliance three, FIM, you have Astro um, Chained, mm-hmm. Bayonetta three still out there. You mentioned Luigi's Mansion, Animal Crossing. Yeah. Um, those are stuff that's announced. Um, we've not seen anything from the Odyssey or Breath of the Wild team or Mario Kart team since Arms. I mean, I think the Mario Kart team is helping with Apple, but I can't imagine that was like all of the entire team. Yeah, and it's been it's been a while since Arms, and I feel like there's got to be something, and I feel like there's got to be something from Monolith too. Yeah, it's not to See, say it's been two years since Xenovanic, even if you count uh, the DLC, that's still over a year ago. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is what I'm talking about. I feel like because between between I, I do think you see one or the other from the Odyssey team or the Breath of the Wild team. I think the Breath of the Wild team is probably ready to show something off before the Odyssey team is, although I do think Odyssey was done for a while before it was released. Um, I There's also Monolith Soft. You have to reveal a new Smash character, and that has to that has to be done with flair, you know? So I don't... Where does this, where does this happen? in that presentation. I wonder if it, if they're just calling it a direct to just formally call it a direct and keep it on brand, but maybe maybe it is more of the spotlight route, but why not just call it the spotlight and differentiate it? Well, that's uh, and then that's the other thing. I mean, even going back to years past, like by this time we would know they would just be like, you know, we're going to have a Nintendo Direct focused on Super Smash Brothers. Or we're going to have a Nintendo Direct focused on Super Mario Odyssey. And this year they haven't said anything one way or another. Like what's the yeah. focus game? If there's going to be a focus game, like I imagine Animal Crossing might be it, but it might just be like they they'll just have. I, I think Nintendo likes Animal Crossing. I think Animal Animal Crossing is a huge game. Mm-hmm. But I think they were in there yesterday after, what is it, E3 um, 2008, where Animal Crossing yes. was like the big focus for the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't demo well, Animal Crossing. Yeah. So you can't have that be, you can't really have that be the focus. I mean, you can have it be the focus of the treehouse. Right. But during the, uh, during the presentation, I think you're going to put people to sleep. Yeah. And I mean, it's Nintendo, they still might try that. Um, I'm curious to see um, if there's any like big third-party collaboration. I mean, I think Ubisoft is due for something. We've had Star... Um, crap, what is that game called? Star, uh, Star, Star Fox and Starlink? Starlink, yes. yes. And you you had Mario and, and Rabbids, which I also think is, might be due for a sequel. It's been two, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of curious to see if they continue that legacy of having this big partnership game with Nintendo. They've certainly set the precedent for it, and I, I, that's one of those things where, like, this is what I love about the new era of Nintendo. I wouldn't put it past them to have something set up like uh, maybe a Mario and Rabbits 2 or a Star Fox-esque cameo with any of their properties, really. And what I'm looking forward to and what I think we're, we'll, we'll see is kind of this, the, the second-party Astral Chain caliber output. Like, who had a project that they were waiting to get greenlit that Nintendo came to them and said, here's here's a check, whatever you need, go get get to work. I, I yeah, that, that's type of and that's that's more speaking to the, the Switch lineup in general. That those types of projects, only because the precedent was established in the sense of Mario and Rabbids and Astral Chain now, I'm more excited for those than I than I maybe am looking forward to 
like seeing what big third-party games get announced to also be on Switch because I know these will be more faithful to the platform. Well, I don't even mean stuff like that. I do mean stuff like, you, you know, I mentioned the Mario and the Rabbids, but even stuff like Octopath. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, a ground-up Switch title. And I do think, you know, Octopath sold well, Bravely Default so well. I have to imagine that that team is working on something. Absolutely. Um, you have stuff from Japan like Yokai Watch 4 mm-hmm. um, and some other games. I would imagine maybe a Monster Hunter. Um, who knows? Well, if they had a new Monster Hunter, I would imagine that would be like a TGS type direct. Right. Well, I'll tell you what won't be there, or at least not, it won't be as featured of a presence in the direct because they are uh, revealing something um, the week before, which is this Wednesday, is Pokemon Sword and Shield. And this is something I want to go back to just the, the scheduled streams uh, for a second. So Beyond Good and Evil 2 announced a, a scheduled, stream, uh, scheduled stream, and it won't be at E3. Pokemon has a scheduled stream. Not going to be a big focus at E3. We might see it during the Treehouse, but it's not going to be part of their show. Call well, of Duty got an early... Re- it's going to be part of their show. I think uh, and I think a lot of times people kind of forget stuff. Because I called this Pokemon Direct ages ago. Because even with uh, Pokemon Let's Go, they did the same thing. They had a Direct ahead of time that's focused just on that game. And then they had a quick trailer of it. And then you had segments during the Treehouse. Call of Duty is the same thing. Call of Duty tends to be revealed at during the NBA Finals. And then it has like a full gameplay reveal during either Microsoft or Sony's press conference. Right. Um, Sticking on no, Call of Duty for a second, do you think it's weird that there's no Switch version? I, yes and no. <laughs> to, to, to an extent that it's hard, I, I mean, I, I've always found the excuse the same, but, you know, like, everybody's going, oh, it's this graphical thing or whatever. A lot of third parties at some point just come out and say they don't necessarily care to support Nintendo systems, not because they have any animosity towards Nintendo, but I do think that they've never really understood how to work with that demographic. Um, and it's weird because I think the Switch demographic is probably the one that's most similar to Xbox and PlayStation demographic in almost 20 years. But they don't know how to do... Because, okay, not to, not to rant too much, a lot of third parties have one method of selling stuff, and that is looks prettier than the previous game. Yes. And that's not necessarily something you can do on a Nintendo system. Agreed. You have to, the focus t- tends to be, and again, I don't want to say that third party games aren't great or good, but the focus on Nintendo systems are polish, our gameplay, our art styles. So you have to understand how to navigate that because you aren't going to get the best conversion of the game on the Switch when there's an Xbox. One S and a PlayStation 4 Pro and PC out there. Um, and we've seen it in the past. We've seen um, the GameCube. EA tried like, those uh, sports cards with the e-reader. Uh, mm-hmm. They tried that really with the EA Play games where they had like the Madden, but it was like the big head, like the big, the chibi styles. And it's like that stuff doesn't work because you're not catering to the audience. You're downgrading. You're just trying to, you're patronizing at that point. Yeah, and very true. I th- and I think, because we've seen it before, we, you know, like there are games, there are third-party games that sell well or even sell best on Switch, and those are the ones that don't necessarily rely on graphics. We just saw that with Crash Team Racing. No, mm-hmm. uh, Sonic Team Racing. Yeah. We, we've seen that with, uh, you know, Lego games that always, always sell better on Nintendo systems. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and again, it's it's and yes, you can also say that they that they're family focused, but you saw stuff like um, Doom sold well. Yeah. Um, you know, like we've seen like Skyrim, people. Talk- Skyrim cracked a million units on Switch. I don't know that the that the family thing is not. Is not the family uh, focus thing is not an excuse anymore, and I feel like Call of Duty is the is the one brand, if any brand, that will go where the money is, you know. And I feel yeah. like Switch is on track to beat Super Nintendo numbers at probably by the end of twenty uh by the end of twenty nineteen. It feels silly that they're still missing out, especially considering the big gap in their in their uh, software lineup of first person shooters, especially uh, yeah, online I mean- first person shooters. There's none of them. I mean, honestly speaking, and I would also say the same about Activision because Activision has Call of Duty, and like, what else do they have this year? So and, true, and, yeah. And, they don't have Destiny anymore. Yeah, so they it's one of those things. And that's that, it. And, and it's the same thing with you see like with EA, where EA is, um, you know, like EA is having troubles because their sales are down, and it's like there is a third viable system out there that yeah. you're not supporting. Really? Like, that, why that doesn't ignore... have anything of what you what you give besides FIFA. There's no decent. Um, there's no football game like at all. There's no. Um, there's no like realistic racing sim of the caliber of like a Burnout or something like that. There are barely any arcade racing. Actually, I shouldn't say that. There are plenty of those, but um, but you know what I mean. Like like Burnout Paradise would work really well. Madden yeah. needs to. I don't understand why Madden is not on it. That that feels like a no brainer to me at this point. Yeah, it's, but it's you can't it's really feel bad for them after a while. Yeah, I mean, and 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 they and they they will continue to be successful, but it's it, like you see, it like oh, you know, we're seeing declining sales and whatever, and it's like, why not try to right. even if it's even if even and I don't mean like trying with that EAP stuff, but like try some of these games if they don't work. Like I know a lot of people try with the Wii U, and that just kind of came out and sizzled really quickly. But, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know that the Wii U is really that apt of a comparison anymore. Like there were, the writing was on the wall for how the thing was really going to go, and maybe that's just hindsight talking. But the Switch does not have any of the other problems. Like when when the Switch debuted alongside Breath of the Wild, Nintendo captured that eighteen to twenty nine market of, yeah. of adult males. They never had that, and that is the third party market. Well, they've had it before. It's like, but it was like the N sixty four with stuff like Golden Eye and WWE games and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, but it's here again, and no one's really doing anything about it, and yeah. continuing to use past examples, and it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, like you said, uh, you know, like you mentioned shooters, it's like it does. It still doesn't really have that one defining online first-person shooter. It doesn't. And like there, there were there were rumblings that Apex was going to show up, but I feel like you're kind of like a day late and a dollar short with Apex. Like it, that community is pretty dead now, and. I mean, is that experience really going to be what anybody wants it to be? It's like you just need you need something that will work. What would work is the Modern Warfare Remastered. Just have that have that be the Switch's online shooter. I would buy it in a heartbeat. I would play it pretty often. Well, I, I mean, and then this goes to a point you made earlier. I would want something new and exciting, even uh, or uh, and I understand like it's you know it's it's harder and harder to justify. I do miss the days like the Genesis and Super Nintendo, where you could afford to do different versions of similar games on different platforms because I think it's something like Red Steel, and I'm like Red Steel was a great, okay, not Red Steel one, but Red Steel Two was a really fun first person shooter. If one of the most overlooked f- first person shooters ever, in my opinion. Yeah, I love if, that game. 
if Ubisoft could find a way to bring that to the forefront on the Switch and then make like a tied like, like it doesn't sell super well, but you guys something like No More Heroes, and that's tied to Nintendo's identity. Mm-hmm. It's a third party game, it's original, it's mature in the immature sense, mm-hmm. but it's one of those games that that's tied to Nintendo's identity over the course of two generations. I mean, it skipped the Wii U. Um, you look at stuff like Starring, you know, like that had Star Fox exclusive content and it didn't sell well. But it's a game that if Ubisoft and Nintendo really believed in, get rid of the Toys to Life stuff, focus, mm-hmm. you know, like make it more. Like, I, I enjoy the game. It does get a bit repetitive after a while, but like make that more kind of like the space opera kind of detail story <laughs> more and, and make that like a switch exclusive title like have yeah. multiplayer um have multiplayer online dog fights and stuff like that um but yeah Starlink i was very much a game that got in its own way and you're you're right like the toys to life focus was was um a poor one in hindsight because not only was the toys to life aspect like gone from the mainstream it was an added cost that had to add to those um to that, like, you had to account for the cost of manufacturing the toys, as well as just the cost of making the game itself. I can't imagine, and plus, like, you can hear it in the budget that that game did not have a big budget. Like, half the voice acting is done by one person. So I can only imagine the stress that put on that development team. Yeah, so, I, I who knows? Um, but yeah, just to kind of uh, expedite for time. Um right. What else do we have on notes? Um, so I want to just go back to the scheduled stream thing because this is interesting. I, I feel like we were talking before how a lot of the big players aren't really having press conferences this year. Um, Sony isn't having a press conference, but they gave Death Stranding its stream. They gave it a release date stream on Twitch. EA is not having a press conference, but they're having scheduled streams of everything. So that's like everyone can tune into the, to the live debut of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and they don't have to sit through Pele talking about soccer. Like they don't have to sit through the the formal obligations that needing to appeal to shareholders. Anybody can just kind of tune into what they want. I think this I, is this is the future of E3. This is what it should be. Yes and no. Uh, I think that you need a kind of like maybe make it something short. But you need some type because you want something where people can kind of see everything at once. Because like I get what you mean by like, oh, it's great that you can tune into Star Wars at nine thirty. Then you can, if you want, you can tune into Madden at ten thirty, and then you can tune into FIFA at one. But the fact is, then you're you've taken a press conference which is an hour and turned it into an hour and a half, and then it's competing with everything else because like, that's what, what what you need with a press conference is like you get that attention for half an hour 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 and a half whatever it is mm-hmm. and then you can kind of do like oh if you want to see like more gameplay about star wars or something like that where like, i think ea it's over multiple days and it's at various times so i i get the benefit of like okay this is all i want to see this is all i'm going to see and it right. works in that sense but from a business and kind of interest generating standpoint it's like you're not going to be able to watch this you're not going to be able to watch ign you're not going to be able to watch youtube coliseum you're not going to be able to watch treehouse live you're not going to be able to watch uh days of play mm-hmm. um because it's so it's just wait like it's 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 um it's like streaming TV. 
like everybody's like, oh man, I can't wait to cut cable. I'll have Netflix and everything. And then what you ended up having is like you have Netflix that has this stuff you want to watch. You have Amazon that has this stuff you want to watch. You have HBO that has that stuff you want to watch. And you, so never you end watch up with, any of it. Yeah, because you end up with yeah. so much <laughs> that there's nothing to like, okay, I just want to be here for half an hour. To EA, I, I know I, I want to make fun of EA, yes. <laughs> but I it's it's like, okay, now you're just asking way too much of me. <laughs> Right. But that's also I see I actually kind of disagree with that. I don't think they're asking anything of you. They're asking you to watch whatever you want to watch. And this is like I'm interested in seeing that gameplay of that Star Wars game. I don't know how great it's going to be. I have faith in uh uh I have faith in Respawn. I think they're going to do well. But now I don't have to sit through I don't have to sit through an EA conference and Anthem bullshit and Madden bullshit and FIFA and NBA Live and whatever else. I can just watch that one thing. And for companies like EA, I think that works. Um, to me, I think the only companies that really it's mandatory for them to have a press conference presence or just a digital or, or just an event presence are the platform holders. So Nintendo, yeah. Sony, and Microsoft. And I agree with I, that. And I honestly think I think E3 would have been it would be ha- would have been better if those three were to still remain the focus. But then it was like, okay, we have Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony. EA needs a press conference. Oh, right. EA has one. Ubisoft needs one. Right. Ubisoft needs and one. EA and, needs one. <laughs> but EA and EA and Ubisoft are big enough where I can kind of get it. They Why are is Bethesda... most years, though. That's the problem. But they, they certainly have more than Bethesda, and I don't understand why in the world <laughs> you're doing that. But when they started doing it, I understood because it's like we need the proper channel to show off Fallout 4 because this is kind of our coming out party. Like we are We are finally... We are we are back. We're returning in a way that we haven't really been on the scene in a while. Yeah, and so I think the answer to that is to have a press conference, and that was great. And I think that's part of the reason why Fallout Four was as successful as it was. They showed it; it was out in five months. That's it. We're done. But then the following year, you didn't. Sh- you focused on Dishonored Two and Prey. The year after that, you focused on on nothing. You had abs- You had nothing. You had absolutely yeah. nothing. And I think that's the problem. It's like yeah. I, I think people just get accustomed to having these press conferences where I do think it's a bigger deal if you, okay, we're going to take a year off. And then, so the next time you come in, oh, they must have some big announcements that they have. Exactly. Because exactly, like you exactly said, right. Bethesda, interesting. And it's great that they give us this roadmap. You didn't need a press conference for an hour to tell us that these games are coming in like the next five or six years. Yeah. Um, but, and, that, and that eliminates the need because like, think of last year for Bethesda. Starfield got announced. Why? To get ahead of leaks? The leaks already happened. You can't get ahead of something that's leaked. You can't get ahead of leaks if it already leaked. Elder Scrolls Six. you get ahead of what? Questions? Who gives a shit? It's question. Just answer the question, yeah, we don't really have anything to say at this time. You're showing still images for games that aren't going to show up for the next three or four years to check boxes, to fill time in a conference, to give Todd Howard a reason to stand out there, and to... Like, I don't even think that Elder Scrolls Blades was worth E3 press conference time. And listen, as cool of, as a concept as that might be and has as big of an achievement as that might be for Bethesda, what are you doing? What's the point? Like, this year, Square Enix should have a conference because they seem to have a lot of heavy hitters between um, the Avengers Project finally showing its face, Final Fantasy VII Remake finally resurfacing. Sure, have a conference. You know? But I feel year. like... <laughs> oh my god, last year, what were you doing? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you said, like now, because like not only are they having a press conference, they are telling us ahead of time what to expect. We're gonna mm-hmm. see the Avengers game. We're gonna see Final Fantasy VII R. There's going. What is it? Outrider? I think they are teasing. We're going to see new games. So okay, now you have 
a focus. You have something to show. You have my attention. And I share with Kingdom Hearts, which is fine, except Kingdom Hearts was at Sony's press conference. Kingdom Hearts was at Microsoft's press conference. Yeah, it was everywhere. And that's the other thing that I think, you know, the problem with these third-party press conferences is a lot of them were held for other, other like Microsoft or Sony. So you either had this weird thing like, oh, like you had the first look, stay tuned to Sony's press conference later today to get a full look. Or it's like, oh, like, yeah, if you enjoyed this, Ubisoft will have a 20-minute gameplay later on tonight. And it's like right. it's weird, like, you watch this, but we're going to send you here to see what we're actually talking about. Yeah. Or, like, and it's like, yeah, it's more work. <laughs> it is. It's more work. It's like you have – it's right there. The show is literally – like, the game is literally on your show right now. Why aren't you showing me anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like it. the streaming is a solution for that. So now I don't have to sit through an EA press conference – to show to to watch the fifteen minutes of Anthem I didn't get to see back when Anthem still looked cool, you know. Like now I can tune into Anthem whenever they want to show me Anthem. I think that's the benefit for it. So it's definitely a strange year. Excitement levels are not the same as last year's, but it's getting there. I feel, and I, I for the primary company that I care about being Nintendo, it's silent, and I feel like. Um, silence in this case is always good that's when you know they have something up their sleeves or they don't i mean that's or they the, don't that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. the thing with that's the thing with nintendo we've had we've had this happen before where people are like oh they haven't said anything we know nothing about the end of the year lineup. it's going to be great and then it's like no we know everything about because again you look at the fact that pokemon sword and shield animal crossing luigi's mansion bayonetta 3 astro shit that's like five that's like one a month even if they wanted to do that you mm-hmm. throw in maybe an extra abo kid and maybe some mario party event or something like that and you're set right like, i i expect they'll have one or two surprises but um as, as as excited as i am as much of a nintendo fan as i am i actually think the show i'm most interested in this year is xbox microsoft i agree because sony's gone all those third parties gotta go somewhere yeah but not only that but like they've you know they said that we're having what 24 uh xbox uh studios 14 i think it was 14 and like part of me is like okay a lot of these are going to be like off in a distance but you realize like they've spent the 2018 buying up all these studios Mm -hmm. so some of that 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 purchases have to start bearing fruit and that's what i'm excited for it's like what what is microsoft going to try are they going to double down on more like first person and third person shooters like hero gives a war are they going to try like a new 3d platformer are they going to you know go into a are they going to try kart racer mm-hmm. <laughs> um like you don't necessarily know it doesn't mean that it's going to be good or anything but because they've kind of exhausted their handful of franchises it means that they can throw everything to the wall and see what sticks now that's very true and that's something that i feel um they are in a prime condition to do since these acquisitions and i was i was not crazy about the acquisitions i and i hope because of those acquisitions that we don't see more scale bounds we see fewer because (laughs) i I, well that's the thing i feel like them people kind of went nuts in like this big hype moment for ninja theory and Regardless of uh, however you feel about um, Ninja Theory or the acquisitions or anything like that, I, I, I don't understand the hype around tech companies buying other tech companies. So a, a publisher like Ninja Theory maintaining its independence is better for Microsoft than Microsoft actually owning it. They All you have to do is make deals with them and keep them funded so that they retain their independence and their freedom. 
because eventually if things start to underperform under the Microsoft umbrella, then Phil Spencer's going to come and be like, hey, listen, the first one was cool. It was a cool experiment. Didn't work. Second one, we tried to go a little mainstream. It still didn't work. Third one, we need you to make an always online multiplayer shooter, loot like looter shooter. And now everyone's miserable. You know, I, I feel like this is this has more room for maybe not more room for failure than not. I think it has more room for failure than people are anticipating. I mean, we shall see. Like I said, I because yeah, it could be that they just kind of milk it to hell, or they are like we're just gonna shooter shooters everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you never know. You never like that's, know. That's that's the exciting thing is like we know to expect a bunch of announcements. And again, it could be something like Yoko Psycho. I don't know how many people remember Yoko Psycho. I do. Um, but that's like it could be it could be games of that caliber. Yeah. Hey listen, if if the only surprise announcement that Nintendo had in addition to their lineup as the, as it stands now mm-hmm. is a new wave race, I'm in. Like that would be the best type of surprise for me. Like give me give me more things of that caliber. Get experimental, get go small. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and and and, and, and you know, I guess going I I do wish like I wish we had more Nintendo that gave us snipper chips, uh box boy pushmo. Like I'm like that Nintendo hasn't really shown up yet on the Switch. Yeah, that's true. I I think it'll I think it'll start to happen in the later years whenever whenever the Switch starts to wind down just depending on their plan for it um but that's true i i mean we just got box boy and box girl but no we didn't get push mo we didn't get uh dylan's rolling western um there was another one sakura samurai the one where you like draw sword strikes that was cool something like that would be interesting as well yeah there's a lot of i think a lot of like i think and uh and a lot of people's heads nintendo's merging their handheld and console division was like this, we're going to get all these experimental, like, Rusty's Real Deal Baseball. Mm-hmm. And, um, crap, what is, uh, Steel Diver. Mm-hmm. We're going to get those games, and then we're going to get the Marios and Zeldas, and we have not really gotten, we've gotten the console games. <laughs> the handheld right. games haven't really made the jump yet. Right, that's I, true. Because I like the free-to-pay Steel Diver. I thought that was awesome, like, you know. Turn it into HD, make it still make it free to play. It's a great it'll it's a different type of first person shooter. <laughs> I agree. That's excellent. And to wrap up E three, um E three predictions, I'm asking everybody I talk to before E three, give me your uh no brainer smash character that'll get announced and your wish list smash character that'll get announced. Um huh. I you see I've I've really been curious about Smash Brothers. Uh, because you would think traditionally it's like, okay, what is their, like, what is, is, what is the brand that's underrepresented? But like, after Joker, it's like, oh, it doesn't even have to really be something associated with Nintendo. That's true. Uh, it could be something. Well, okay. My wishes, which is very minor, but because it's uh, relatively recent, is ARMS. Like, there's no real representation from that franchise in the, in, in the, in the series. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame, because um, it's, one, it's a fighting game. Like, literally, how hard could it be right. to make a fighting game representative? But I also think, um, you know, like um, with a game, like, again, huge Match Brothers fan, but it does kind of vex a diversity and female and minority characters, and you have a litany of them from arms that you can kind of pull from 
and mm-hmm. use that. Um, I've tried, I, you know, like I think they've captured almost all the major NES icons. You have Mario, Sonic, Simon, uh, Mega Man, Pac Man. Um, I think that they need, um, <laughs> and, and, and it's going to be difficult, but I really do think they need somebody f- like f- from Sony end. And mm-hmm. it's pie in the sky, daydreaming, but I feel like Crash Bandicoot has to be one What's of those. What's funny about that is I, I don't think it's out of the question. I really don't. Because it's, I mean, the, the general brand affiliation is there from Sony, but like the brand yeah, it's affiliation a, it's, was there for Cloud and he's in. And he's an, and he's an Activision character, so you wouldn't necessarily have to go through Sony. But right. I feel like, you know, even I, I know a lot of people say Banjo because that's a Nintendo property and, you know, they're, they're kind of on good terms with Microsoft. But mm. I feel like Crash, like you go, you know, Mario, Sonic, Mega Man, Pac-Man. Crash has to be in that conversation more that's so than true. Banjo. <laughs> I don't know about more so than Banjo. I'll fight you tooth and nail on that one. But I mean, um, I because mean, I mean, like, I again, Banjo's fine. It's a good game, but a like, crash, like, let I me mean, crash is crash. Like, you, you, you remember those like crash outside of the Nintendo headquarters commercials, mm-hmm. insulting them. Like he is like again, Banjo was never the face of an organization. Crash was the face of Sony during the right. PlayStation era. <laughs> That's true. And, That's and, true. So maybe his inclusion would be a little bit more. Uh, it would be a little bit more of a statement than banjo than, uh, than banjo would be. Okay, and I'll I, agree with you there. You sold me. <laughs> um, how do you feel about a Resident Evil character? I'm thinking about them a lot lately. I, I feel like I, Jill Valentine is a shoe in. If I mean, I honestly, I feel like if it was going to be somebody, it would most likely be um, uh, Eon from Resident Evil 4 because that is the one that's most associated with Nintendo system. Um, and I feel like he has kind of become the face of the, uh, the franchise, even though I don't think he, well, he was in 6, but everybody was in 6. That's true. Yeah, he was in, uh-huh. he was in 4, he was in 2, 4, and 6. Yeah. And since it's like he's getting, it's like him and Chris Redfield get every other, or I'm sorry, him and, is, him and Jill uh, get every other one. So like Jill's in 1, 3, and 5. And well, I mean, Chris is also in one, three, five, and now because they, yeah, now they but, think, basically they think Leon's going to be an eight. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. Because I mean, I've also heard that Chris is in seven. He is. I, so. that, that was that was shocking to me. I saw that. I I finished that game, and he comes down from the helicopter. He's like, "Hey, what's up?" The name's Redfield. I was like, "You are not Chris Redfield. You're definitely not Chris Redfield. He looks nothing like him. He sounds nothing like him." But lo and behold, it was supposed to be Chris Redfield working for umbrella and umbrella is now this different thing in this new in this new trilogy of uh resident evil games so who knows but i would love to see somebody from resident evil i feel like that's probably the only like really big japanese uh franchise that doesn't have significant representation yet them and dragon quest and everyone's calling um i don't know there's everyone's calling erdrick and i agree i think there's too much smoke around it but besides that i think resident evil is really the last one to get it yeah, uh, and, and and you know with uh, um, I was gonna say Kratos, but with uh, Snake in there, you also have that already. You're, you already have that weird mixture of realistic 
and 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 cartoonish mixture already so it's not out of the view to look like oh like a human in that franchise right like, even it, though bayonet is more human humanoid he also has Aji proportioned body mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's she's definitely more of she's more animated as a, as a character and i think somebody like leon or jill showing up now is less jarring because snake got in so long ago yeah yeah. Um, well, what about well, what? I mean, I what about you? What is your like dream? Like, what is your pie in the sky? Um, I am. Uh, I am nothing if not sticking to my beliefs. Banjo is my pie in the sky. It's okay. it's on the table. It's never off the table. I feel. Um, as far as realistic, um, I I, I think my my no brainer one is probably. I think I'm gonna stick with Resident Evil. I think I think Jill Valentine or Leon Kennedy. I think is the, uh, I think is the. It's somewhere in that in that fighter pass. I think they're both somewhere in there. Um, but my pie in the sky is 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 Banjo. I love those characters. I think the Smash move set for them it creates it's it you know it writes itself. Yeah, um, I think it's and uh, visually and even control wise they are something different because they would be two characters but not two characters in the same way as a Grosina and Loomis or the Ice Climbers where they still function as one character and that's always been the fun dynamic of Banjo-Kazooie is kind of that 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 that, that they're, they're, they're two separate characters and you know Tui took advantage of them separating out more often but the mm-hmm. fact that like somehow I still don't know what Kazooie's Zek strength is <laughs> that she can pop <laughs> Banjo off on her back like that but yeah. Yeah, I think that and like the flying and the different the attacks would be really fun. Yeah, um, I, I would I guess be so that, interested in that move set. And I think that it's one of those things that it it it, it it's you know like Microsoft has owned uh, Microsoft has owned the rights to this franchise almost twice as long as Nintendo has, but it's still a franchise that's heavily associated with Nintendo. That's true. Wow, you're right. They have they've owned that they've owned Banjo Kazooie longer than Nintendo owned it. Oh boy. That's another that's another <laughs> one. That's like the Resident Evil 4 example where just time is is escaping. You lose track yeah. of how long it's been since all this shit. Yeah, it's almost been 20 years since that all went down. <laughs> yeah. Well, E3 is a week away and we are uh we are in for some good uh we're in for some good stuff, I think. I would just say that E3 isn't a week away. I mean, E3 is this week. <laughs> uh, That's true. Because you have uh, the Pokemon Direct is on Wednesday. Google Stadia is on Thursday. <laughs> um, oh yeah, that's right. Stadia is Thursday now. Yeah. So you're already kind. You're, you're already there. Like that's the one positive, somewhat, of this whole thing recently is that E3 has started sooner and sooner every year, mm-hmm. to the point that you're almost covered from. Wednesday of this week until Tuesday of next week as far as press conferences go. I don't think there's anything on Friday. I don't, I don't remember think so this. either. I don't think so either. I think that's it. I think Thursday and then it jumps to... I think there might be like a tournament on Saturday and then Sunday is really when everything everything starts. Yeah. So. so it's going to be a jam-packed next seven days. That's for sure. Or not seven days. Like ten days. It's yeah. going to be a jam-packed ten days. Um, and I think that will wrap it up for episode five. This has been part two of our E3 breakdown. I want to thank my guest, Earl. Uh, Earl, tell them where they can follow you. 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at Breakabone, B-R-E-A-K. Um, I don't update it ever, but my website knows on the rocks.com. And yeah, Yushi. I mean, those are the two main ways you can find me. I am Yushi around somewhere. Give me a higher I I converse with almost everybody who follows me. Yeah. He gives he does follow Fridays too. I swear <laughs> to you, you did that the first time, and I was like, people still do follow Fridays, it's awesome. But hey, I gained like five new five new followers, five new friends from that, and I appreciate you for it. <laughs> um, this has been the Crystal Talks Games Podcast. I promise you I'm gonna think of a better name eventually. There's something about that name, man. It just feels, uh, feels kind of dated. But you know what? We're having fun. You don't care about I... the name. You just have fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Earl, thank you so much for being a part of it. No problem. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>